When wishes were horses and beggars could ride, in a stone castle by the sea there lived a rich land. How am I supposed to choose? There are so many. And so he left the trail, and he followed the sound of the music. I am the goat from the hills and the mountains. And when I have finished eating these herbs and these vegetables, then I shall eat you, too. Once upon a time, and welcome to the Story Story Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Ann Harding, and I have some stories for you. This is a podcast to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world. It will take you to long ago and far away, and will bring you back safely. Late summer was blossoming in the mountains, and I was ready to go hike through it. I put water, a few snacks, and a light jacket in my pack, tied on my hiking shoes, and drove to a trail I hadn't been on before. For those who haven't been to Colorado, most hiking is at pretty high altitude, so even slight uphill hiking had me puffing a little bit. But the trees and the wildflowers were showing off, letting the sun shimmer through the branches, and those petals popped with yellow, scarlet, blues, and greens. The smell of the forest flowed into my lungs with every breath I was feeling enchanted as I followed the trail deeper into the woods. It twisted back and forth, and as I came around a corner, I saw it. A wolf in the middle of the trail, wearing a red cape and carrying a basket in its mouth. The first teller for this episode is Priscilla Howe. Based in Kansas, Priscilla performs at schools, libraries, festivals, and special events. Her mouthy hand puppets come along to shows for young children, and she tells more grown-up stories to, well, grown-ups and older kids. For those of you who can't get enough of her delightful stories, you can become patrons and get a new story every week from her. Also, you heard it here first. Priscilla is releasing a new book of Bulgarian folktales titled Clever, Kind, Tricky, and Sly. You can find this book on Amazon or at bookshop.org. For this episode, Priscilla is telling a flatulent fable, a tutor of tales. This is The Fragrant Fart. Hi everybody, it's Priscilla with another bedtime story. I want to tell you the story of the fragrant farts. Oh yes, this is a school inappropriate story. It's from China, from the Hakka people. Long ago, there were two brothers. One was very rich and one was very poor. The rich man had lots of land and he had water buffalo and he had lots of money. The poor man had only a little bit of land and it didn't produce many crops, and he had only one water buffalo. And that water buffalo died. Oh, the poor man was very sad. This water buffalo had been his only friend. So he made a grave for the water buffalo, for his friend. The very night that the water buffalo died, the poor man had a dream. He dreamed that the water buffalo came to him and said, You treated me well. All my life you were a good friend to me. Go to my grave and you will find a fruit tree. Eat that fruit. In the morning the poor man woke and he went to the grave of his dear friend the water buffalo 
and there was a fruit tree, and it had fruits on it. He began to eat the fruit because he was very, very hungry. He ate and he ate and he ate, and, and then his stomach began to gurgle and rumble, and, oh dear, he, he, was, he was quite sure he was going to fart. And he did. He farted. <sniffs> and you know, usually farts do not smell very good, but this, this fart, smelled fragrant. It smelled good. He didn't mind. He ate a little more, and he farted a little more, and he ate a little more, and he farted a little more, but it didn't bother him at all. Now it happened that there was a nobleman nearby who was very, very sick. Doctors had been called, healers had been called, nobody could help him. An old woman came to the house of that nobleman and told the advisers, I know what will heal this man. You must buy him some fragrant farts. The advisers said, fragrant farts? What is such a thing? We don't even know what you're talking about. Oh, you will know, don't worry. And she went on her way. That day the poor man was working in his field. It was very hard work. He didn't even have a water buffalo to help him. He saw an old woman coming up the road. She looked very tired. He asked her to sit, and he went and got her some water, and he gave her some fruits. She said, Thank you, my child, thank you. I have a little bit of advice for you. You must go to the house of the nobleman and sell him a fragrant fart. Well, sell him many, but sell him only one per day, and you must ask a high price. You must ask thirty thousand ounces of silver for your farts. Really? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But remember, only sell one per day. This will heal the sick man. He went to get the old woman more water, and when he came back, she had vanished. The next day he set out to the house of the nobleman. When he got there, he called out, Fragrant farts! Fragrant farts, fragrant farts for sale, fragrant farts for sale. The advisers heard this. They called him in. Are you selling fragrant farts? Why, yes, I am. Yes, I am. Thirty thousand ounces of silver for one fart. Thirty thousand ounces of silver. The poor man said, if it doesn't work, you don't have to pay me. They decided they would try it. They took the poor man in to the bedchambers, where the nobleman was lying very, very sick. The poor man took a bite of one of the fruits. He said, are you ready? And he turned his back to the nobleman, and he let rip. <laughs> the advisers had been ready to plug their noses, but <gasps> no, the house smelled wonderful, sweet-smelling, wonderful smell. And the sick man sat up in bed and said, I feel much better. I feel much better. Pay this man. And they did. They paid him. And he promised he would come back the next afternoon. Word spread about the fragrant farts. And the wealthy brother, the wealthy brother, went to the grave of that water buffalo and stole some of the fruits. 
and he went the next day in the morning. He called out, Fragrant farts for sale, fragrant farts for sale, fragrant farts for sale. The advisers wondered, because they knew that the man was coming back in the afternoon. Oh, this wasn't the same man, was it? They said, you, you have fragrant farts for sale? Oh, yes, I do, yes, I do. How much did you pay yesterday? We paid 30,000 ounces of silver. Oh, well, my farts are cheaper than that. I will sell you one for 20,000 ounces of silver. They led him in. This was much less expensive. He said to the nobleman, Are you ready? The nobleman said, Yes, yes, I'm ready. Please, please, give me another fragrant fart. The wealthy brother turned his back and let rip. It was a terrible smell. It was an awful smell. The whole house filled with it, and the nobleman fell back in his bed worse than before. They chased that wealthy brother out of the house. That afternoon, the poor brother went back to the nobleman. He was ushered in immediately. He said, Are, are you ready? Yes, yes. The poor brother let rip. <laughs> with the sweetest smelling, most fragrant fart. And the nobleman said, Ah, thank you. I feel so much better. The poor man came back every day with a fragrant fart for the nobleman. And he became quite wealthy. And that's the story of the fragrant fart. Today's fairy tale sponsor is Sixpence Bakery. Sing a song of sourdough, of cakes, of pies, of bread. Come to Sixpence Bakery and discover delights fit for a queen or king. We no longer bake live birds into our pies, but we do deliver via bird. When you order a dozen of our buns, they'll be delivered by Blackbird within 24 hours. Sixpence Bakery, baking perfect dish to make anyone feel like a king. This episode is also brought to you by a few new Patreon supporters. Kit has the interesting habit of looking up just as a shooting star is falling, which means he has more wishes at his command than anyone I know. Anita has a magical honeypot that never runs out, which means sweet tea for every party. Donna has the habit of whistling when cooking, and the magical music makes all the food turn out perfectly. You should taste her soup after she's been whistling jazz. It'll make your feet dance under the table. Kit, Anita, and Donna are also generous supporters of storytelling, which is pretty cool. A big thank you to them and all the other patrons of the podcast. You are the feathers in our fluffy pillows. I was of two minds seeing a wolf wearing a red cape. The first I thought was, run! And the second was, how does a wolf wear a cape? I had no possibility of acting on either thought because the wolf froze and set down the basket and then spoke, Please don't eat me. I'm on my way to grandmother's house for she is sick. I know this story as well as you do, and I know I was seeing in reverse, but if my part was to play the big bad human, then I was going to do my best. Well, little wolf. Maybe you should stop and pick some flowers for your granny. 
The wolf gave me the most deadpan look I could have ever imagined on a canine. I have no opposable thumbs. If you aren't going to take this story seriously, I'll have to find someone who will. The wolf scooped up the basket in its teeth and off it flounced. I watched it go and started hiking again. Then I saw it. A trail of breadcrumbs. Ah, heck. It was going to be a fairy tale filled hike, wasn't it? The second teller for this episode is Ed Stivender. Ed has been telling stories since 1977, and I first heard him tell at the Timpanogos Storytelling Festival, though his storytelling and music has taken him around the world. Whether he is telling with a grand symphony or to a group of enchanted children, he is a delightful and clever teller. This is him telling the story, The Golden Fish. Once upon a time in the land of Egypt, there was a king who had gone blind from a grave illness. Of course, he was very unhappy, and he grew even more unhappy as the months passed, and none of the doctors in his land could do anything to cure him. The poor man grew weak and thin from misery, and everyone thought he was going to die, and his son, the prince, his only son, thought he was going to die as well. So great, therefore, was the rejoicing when a stranger arrived in a boat down the Nile River, and when he announced that he was a court physician from a faraway realm, and that he would look at the king to see if he could do anything to cure him. And so he was immediately entered into the king's presence, and after a few moments of careful observation, he declared that although the case was very serious, it was not quite impossible. There exists in the middle of the great sea a golden-headed fish. If you can manage to catch this fish and bring him to me, I will make an ointment from his blood which will restore your sight. For one hundred days I will remain here. And if at the end of that hundred days the fish is still uncaught, I must return to my own land. The next day, the prince set out in quest of the golden-headed fish, bringing with him a hundred men, each man carrying a net. There was quite a fleet of boats down at the harbor, and in these they sailed out to the middle of the great sea and began to work. For three months they labored diligently from dawn until dusk. And then, at the end of the three months, they had caught great multitudes of fishes, but not one of them had a golden head. It is useless now, said the prince on the last night. Even if we find the fish tonight, by the time we arrive back in Egypt, the doctor will have returned to his own king. But I will go out again and cast the net myself. And so it was that at the very moment when the hundred days were up, he drew in the net and there was the golden-headed fish entangled in its meshes. Success has come, but as often happens, it is too late, said the prince, who had studied in the schools of philosophy. <laughs> Still, take the fish and put him in that vessel full of water. We will take it back to the king to show that we did our best. But as he approached, the fish looked up at him with such piteous eyes that he could not make up his mind to kill it. 
for he knew that although the doctors in his own realm did not know the secret of the ointment, they would do whatever they could to extract something from the fish's blood. And so he took the prize of so much labor and threw it back into the great sea and then turned back to go back to the Egyptian capital. When he arrived at the palace, he found the king in a high fever from great disappointment. And he did not believe the story that his son told him. Your head shall pay for it. Your head shall pay for it. And he commanded the courtiers to summon the royal executioner to come at once to the palace. But of course, someone went to the queen and told her of the king's order. And she put common clothes on her son, filled his pockets full of gold, and set him aboard a ship, leaving that night for a far land. She said, take this gold, you will need it in your travels. Your father will repent someday, and when he does, he will be glad to know that you are still alive. Now, one bit of advice I have for you. Do not take anyone into your service who wishes to be paid at the end of every month. <laughs> this seemed like strange advice. But... As his mother had shown herself to be wise in many other matters, the prince promised obedience. And so he traveled on the ship. And at the end of a few weeks, he came to an island of which his mother had spoken. It was a beautiful island with hills and trees and flowers and multitudes of beautiful houses set in gardens. He lost no time in buying one of the most beautiful of the houses. What a wonderful island this is. And then the servants came to him, offering their services. He examined each one very carefully, asking them questions. And when he asked the critical question, how they would be paid, each of the servants said, at the end of every month. And when they said this, he dismissed them without another word. By and by, there came one morning an Arab who prayed that he would be taken into service. The prince asked him the questions, and when he asked, how will you be paid? The Arab said, I do not want money. At the end of a year, you can see what my services have been worth to you, and you can pay me any way you want. And so he was hired on the spot. Now, it would seem very strange to anyone who saw the part of the island where the prince had landed to see the rest of the island, because the rest of the island was a complete desert owing to the ravages of a terrible monster who came up out of the sea and devoured all the crops and cattle. Soldiers had been sent out in bands by the governor of the island, but every time the monster came out, all of the soldiers were asleep somehow. In vain were they punished severely, because the next time the same thing would happen. And so heralds were sent throughout the island telling of a great reward which would be given to anyone who could find the monster and kill it. As soon as the Arab heard the news, he went to the governor of the island and said, if my master can destroy this monster, what reward would you give him? Well, I would give him my daughter's hand in marriage and anything else that he would require. It will be done. And afar off, there were cheers. because the monster was going to be killed. <laughs> and so they had a contract drawn up, which each of them signed. 
That night, the Arab went down to the beach to lie in wait for the monster. Before he set out, he rubbed himself all over with an oil that made his skin smart so badly that there was no danger of him falling asleep, as the soldiers had done. He hid himself behind a large rock and waited. By and by, a swell seemed to come up over the great sea, and in a few moments, a hideous monster, half animal, half bird, half serpent, <laughs> a monster and a half, <laughs> came out and stood noiselessly on the rocks as began to make its furtive way up toward the crops. The Arab was waiting for it, and he took his dagger and stabbed behind the ear. And the monster gave a great cry and rolled over dead with its feet in the sea. The Arab waited to be sure that there was no more life left in his enemy. And as the body stayed still for a long time, he finally came out and cut off the ears of the beast and took it back to his master and said, go, say it is you who have killed the beast and no one else. No, but it was you who slew the beast and not I. Never mind, said the Arab. Do as I say. I have reason for it. Where I come from, what a servant does in the name of his master, the master does himself. And so, although the prince did not want to take credit for something he had never done, he took the ears to the governor, who was overjoyed, and offered the prince his daughter's hand in marriage that very day. But the prince said, no, all he required was a ship to take him to sail the sea. And so it was arranged. And when the Arab and the prince embarked on the ship, they found the hold piled up high with jewels and precious diamonds and pearls. And off they sailed, and they sailed, and they sailed, and they sailed until they came to a great country. The Arab left his master on board the ship and went into the town to see what kind of place it was. He returned a few hours later saying that it was a wonderful place and that the princess the daughter of the king of this land is the most beautiful princess in the whole world, and you would do well to marry her. Well, the prince was nothing loath, and he took the advice, and taking some of the jewels, some of the finest necklaces from the hold, he went, riding a magnificent white horse which the Arab had purchased for him, went to the place where the king was, followed by his faithful servant. He was immediately let into his presence, and laying down the necklaces on the foot of the throne, he looked up and saw the king and the beautiful daughter, and she was in fact beautiful, and she smiled, but there was a sadness in her eyes. And the prince prayed that the king would give him his daughter's hand in marriage. The king was silent, and finally he spoke. If you wish to marry my daughter, I will give you permission, but first I must tell you that she has already gone through the wedding ceremony with 100 young men, <laughs> not one of whom lived 10 hours after. So think while there is still time. <laughs> and the prince did think. <laughs> And he was so frightened that he almost left without another word. He was about to withdraw his proposal when the Arab whispered in his ear, Do not fear. Take her. And so the prince said, 
Well, the luck will certainly change sometime, and who would not give his head for a hand of a, such a peerless princess? And the princess smiled, but there was a sadness in her eye. And so the king commanded that the marriage take place at once. And so, after the wedding, the couple went to their own chambers to sup. It was the custom in that country. It was a wonderful, beautiful night, and the moon was very bright. And he walked over toward the window, and his eyes fell upon a silken burial shroud with his name embroidered in gold, <laughs> laid out upon a chest. The shock of this discovery dismayed him, and he turned his head away, and then his glance fell on some men working outside the window, digging a hole. <laughs> he walked over and thought, what a strange hour to be working like this, and such a strange shape for a hole so long and narrow. It looks almost like, yes, it is. It is a grave. It is my grave. Astonished by this discovery, he stood speechless, unable to move, when out of the mouth of the princess darted a small black snake that began to wriggle toward him. But the Arab was ready for such a thing. He took the knife, cut off the head of the snake. The prince looked at his bride, and now her smile had no sadness, nor was there any sadness in the rest of that wedding night. In the morning, when he went to see his new father-in-law, the king was rather surprised to see this man. <laughs> and he said, you? Yes, of course. Why not I? Said the prince, who decided not to say anything about what had happened the night before. Uh, why not I? I told you that the luck would change sometime. Uh, but I've come to ask if you would be so kind as to have the gardeners fill up the large hole outside my window. It rather spoils the view. Yes, of course, is there anything else? No, no, that, that's all. And so it was, after the head of the snake was cut off, the spell, or whatever it was, was taken off the princess, and she lived happily with her husband. Their days were spent merrily, hunting in the woods or sailing in the broad river that went by the palace. When night fell, she would sing to him from her harp, and he would tell her stories of his own land. And so time went by, and one day a man in strange garb announced that he was a messenger from the Queen of Egypt and proclaimed the prince king in succession of his father who had died. Her Majesty requests that you set off at once for home and with your bride also, for the, the affairs of the kingdom are somewhat in disarray. And so it was. He went to his father-in-law and told his father-in-law the story. His father-in-law was overjoyed that the man his daughter had married was not a simple governor of a province, but a king of a powerful country. And so he demanded that a ship be made ready. And at the end of the week, he went down to say goodbye to the couple. And the couple swam around a little bit. And then they got back on the ship. And they sailed. They swam and they sailed. First they swam and then they sailed. And while they were sailing, they didn't swim because they were in a hurry. <laughs> As I better be. And so they went and they went to, and the queen, although she was full of grief for the death of her husband, was overjoyed at her son's return and commanded that all kinds of splendid stuffs be hung in the palace to do honor to the bride. And so it was. 
that he was a busy man. The people expected great things from their new sovereign because they had suffered mightily under the reign of the old sick one. And every day, crowds presented themselves with petitions which they hoped the king would grant. And he was quite happy. One evening, the Arab came to him and begged permission to return to his own home. Leave me? Do you really wish to leave me? No, I do not wish to leave you, master, but I have received a summons, and I must obey it. The king was quiet for a moment, full of grief at the loss of this servant. And finally he said, well, I must not keep you. It would be a poor return for all the good you have done for me. Everything I have is yours. Take what you will, for without you, I would long ago have been dead. And without you, I would long ago have been dead. For you see, my friend, I am the golden-headed fish. Thank you for listening to the Story Story Podcast. Show the love. Find Priscilla Howe at PriscillaHowe.com and Ed Stivender at EdStivender.com. Tell them you heard them on the podcast and now want to hear them tell more stories. We are in strange times for performing artists, but art is needed now more than ever. Go find your favorite tellers from the podcast and discover what they can bring to your home. Did you know... You can connect with the podcast on Facebook or Instagram at Story Story Podcast or me at Rachel Ann Harding. While you're there, let me know the favorite story you have heard or the favorite stories of your childhood. Who knows? Maybe you'll hear them here soon. The beautiful brains behind the fairy tale sponsor was Christina Vincent and Katie Knudsen. The inspiration for the true fairy tale was a walk in the woods. The music is by Pottington Bear. This podcast is made possible by patrons like you. Consider becoming a patron or joining the mailing list to get podcast goodies or writing a review on Apple Podcasts, which helps other story lovers find and enjoy the show. You'll hear more stories next week, but until then, live happily ever after. Mary-Kate opened up the door, and there on the doorstep, wrapped in his own blanket, was her baby. And to this day, Anansi spins webs so that he can catch the flea, the fly, and the moth that got away. If you go down to the lake on a clear day when the water lies as calm as a sheet of glass, you can still see the rooftops of the castle glittering in the sunlight. And if you listen really closely, you can even hear the festive music from the royal court.